0: Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health.
1: We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause.
0: That's why we create Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the
1: burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves.
0: So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You have Grace and Clara in your ears. And today we are speaking about a very important topic that we believe needs much more awareness. We are talking about endometriosis. This chronic disease affects nearly 10% of women and girls of menstrual age. While the exact cause remains elusive, through research and awareness, we are learning so much more about this condition. Today, we invited Margaret Scott onto the podcast. Margaret is a naturopath and her expertise lies in reproductive and hormone health. Her journey through naturopathy was sparked by her personal experience, which emphasised the significance of addressing the root cause of health conditions through holistic and evidence-based approaches. Margaret is particularly enthusiastic about assisting individuals with chronic conditions such as endometriosis, polycystic ovaries, acne, irregular periods, gut problems including SIBO, IBS and IBD, and microbiome imbalances, as well as perimetopause, menopause, and mood disorder. Margaret, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Could you share with your audience what sparked your interest in this area of women's health? With lots of women's health
2: conditions, so it's something that comes up for me. And I've also had my own experience with, I have endometriosis and adenomyosis. So I think that makes it a lot easier for me to relate to people with that too, because the symptoms are so different to a regular period. And so when someone's describing their pain to me or their symptoms, I can relate on that level. But it's also just as a result of working with women because so many people come in to see me about something unrelated and then it turns out they've got these terrible, heavy periods or painful periods and so then we kind of get into it from there.
0: So what is endometriosis for our
2: listeners? Where tissues that usually line the inside of your uterus or cells that are similar to that that line the inside of your uterus grow outside the uterus and they can grow in different areas all throughout the body but most commonly they're found around the pelvic area the uterus outside onto the ovaries and that type of thing but also on the bowel or the stomach and so it causes pain and it causes discomfort for some people it doesn't for everyone But it means that that tissue, because it's similar to that, that lines the uterus, it's also subject to all the hormonal fluctuations through the cycle. So it can be issues during the period or really any time through the month.
0: What is it like to live with endometriosis? It's
2: really difficult to just go about your sort of day-to-day life because for some people with endometriosis, they might have pain throughout their entire menstrual cycle. So it's not just around their period. Sometimes you experience nausea, vomiting, fainting, that kind of thing. And for others, it just means when they have their period, the pain is so intense. Sometimes they have to go to the emergency room even. It can be really, really terrible. And so it's an isolating condition in that you really need to sometimes rest or you can't do anything for days at a time. So, it doesn't just affect you physically, but emotionally and mentally, it can be really draining as well. Is there lifestyle factors that can affect endometriosis? This can cause a worsening of the symptoms. And I think it's just, it's also noted in the research that people who have a condition like endometriosis with chronic pain, you start to have a hypersensitivity to pain as well, which is not to say that you don't have bad pain but you just become more sensitive to it and so definitely stress and and you know lifestyle factors can affect it and sometimes exercise has been shown to be effective in reducing the symptoms too, just kind of moving your body but it really sort of depends on the intensity and the the amount that you're exercising too. So you deal with endometriosis and women's nutrition so what does that look like in a consult with someone who has endometriosis depending on what their symptoms are it's really about managing those according to how severe each one is so for some people who have IBS for example which is common in endometriosis maybe the priority might be about addressing that so constipation or diarrhea can be common and so really getting to the bottom of what's causing that is important but there's heaps of stuff you can do from a nutritional perspective to get that improved so if there's constipation adding in fiber gentle fiber or kiwi fruit you know something as simple as that every day and then if it's something like pain then addressing inflammation and that's usually important for all people with endometriosis is reducing that inflammatory load so reducing any inflammation causing foods like fast food takeaway things that are really trans fats and things that are very processed like lots of sugar that type of thing but really just looking at what's the priority for this person because it could be a range of things and there's lots of different individual sort of things we could do depending on what they're presenting with.
0: Hey it's Grace here just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say It's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus, fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode.
1: How do we treat, you know, the individual issues that you've got, or do you, or is there an underlying um, diagnosis that you work with as well that can kind of help treat endometriosis at its root cause?
2: Definitely, it's about understanding what's happening for them in their health initially, and going through yeah. all of that, and then looking at the underlying factors that could be contributing to make those things worse. So, if someone has a really High inflammatory diet, then looking at that Mm. to reduce that down. Or if someone is experiencing lots of IBS like symptoms, getting to the bottom of that. So, a lot of the time I will do testing to check. So, that could be microbiome testing, like stool testing, or blood Mm. testing to see if there's anything out of range in those kind of markers. And then managing those each individual things, which yet are the underlying drivers. So we don't really know yet what causes endometriosis, but we know things that can get worse. And so, for most people, would say anti-inflammatory diet is super helpful. And then we have research that shows that okay, cutting out gluten, dairy, and fodmap foods is helpful for people with endometriosis to reduce the symptoms but then from my perspective it's coming in and saying all right why is that person sensitive to any of those foods because it would be to do with celiac disease because we know there's a higher incidence of that in endometriosis but if it's something to do with fodmaps because those are really healthy foods to have to avoid for a long time you really can get to the bottom of the person's sensitivity in that too so doing testing for something like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO can be helpful. But yeah, getting to the underlying reason why the person is reacting to those things or what's causing their symptoms is the key.
0: Clara, are you currently experiencing this, trying to find foods to help your endometriosis? Yeah,
1: I definitely am. So um, so I, to take you (laughs) across it, I got diagnosed with endometriosis only very recently. So I had the surgery only, what, three, four months ago, I think now. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I'm 42. So it took me a health journey of, you know, since I was about 15, 16, I'd always mentioned I had pain. But i i assumed pain was normal and it was only extreme pain that we were talking about when it came to endometriosis or any of those conditions so every time i presented to a doctor with it i, I definitely spoke about it but it was kind of always just like oh you know that's what happens with women and then i went through i had the surgery and i've been diagnosed but at the literally the day, and so the day after you stay in overnight. I'm not sure if you had the surgery, but you stay in overnight, and the next morning he came. My doctor came around to see me, and he was like, "So, yeah, definitely found it. It was here, here, and then you had this growth, and um, and it was you know stage three, quite severe, stage three either side. And you had this growth, and I was like, great. And then he's like, "So we'll talk about something totally different." Like you can come in and see when we were talk about something totally different. And I was like, okay, so what do I do? Like now I've got it. Now you've told me what's going on. What do I do? How do I fix it? And so now I'm going through a process of exactly similar to all your clients that you say you going, okay, I, I've always had diarrhea. I've always had, you know, I think I'm sensitive to glution. Like there's all these things that I'm like, I thought, separate of the endometriosis, that I had illiteral gland syndrome, I had this, I had that, but what is going on and how do I actually treat endometriosis? Like, And I'm finding it really tricky to navigate that
2: world. Well, that is a really common experience. And so in one way it's really great for you to have a diagnosis even though you have to go before. but then, yeah, it's a lot of specialists that's sort of not their expertise. I've found that there are some gynecologists and specialists who are a little bit more um, specialized in that and they're a bit more open to supplements and nutrition and that type of thing. But I think that is really common and it can be overwhelming. But that's also why the information that we have currently is not enough. The research we have, it's a, there's a little bit there and it says that if you cut out everything, you feel a lot better and people do. But that's only temporary because it's really unsustainable unless you know why you're doing it or it really is affecting you in a way like celiac disease. It doesn't mean that you necessarily are going to have the most severe form of that. So you might not know that you have it. Um, But yeah, that's really common. And I'm sorry to hear that, but it must be good to have a bit of a little bit of a diagnosis now.
1: Realistically, I don't want to have flare-ups. So You know, I was at a point where I was stage three and I was quite severe. And I've been basically told within three months, it'll grow back. So how do I make sure that if it does grow back, it's not as severe or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like I want to be on the front foot, but you don't feel like the medical professional professionals are there to kind of go through that with you. They're there to just do the diagnosis, to do the straight A to B, you know, this is what it is. and away you go but it affects so many women in so many different ways so fertility becomes an issue like and this is why i think early diagnosis with this stuff is so important because fertility is an issue and you need to know that you've got an issue with your reproduction system really really early so that you can forward plan all of that kind of stuff um And it would, like it's, you know, meeting people like yourself and and letting our audience as well understand what are the other things that we can be doing to really kind of nurture our body through these things.
0: Yeah,
2: and the good news about the research that we have now is that it's shown some promise for things like preventing the growth. So there's this really recent study that was published this year on a supplement called N-acetylcysteine, for example, which showed promise in reducing the growth of endometriosis lesions but also helping with pain and things like that and we're getting a bit better at dosing it and knowing you know when to include it this study was interesting because it was dosing it for 3 days a week whereas we've been using this as naturopaths for a while but we've been using it every day so we're just getting better and better at that but at the moment it really is important to look at things on an individual level because what works for you might not work for someone else and I would say that the cutting everything out approach, already when you've got a condition that's quite stressful, that's putting a lot more stress on you too to have to avoid every sort of food. And one way that I think we can help as naturopaths is also just making cycles more regular, more consistent, and so then you know when to expect your period instead of some people are getting their period every three weeks or, you know, every months, and that causes extra stress.
1: That was really interesting. How do you actually do that as a naturopath? How do you start
2: helping people regulate their cycle? A lot can be done with diet and lifestyle stuff for sure, because sometimes it's like a stress thing that's getting in the way. We're always looking to check to make sure that people are ovulating because then that makes sure that the cycle could be regular too. We have herbs and supplements that definitely help. But really, again, getting to the bottom of why, is that something to do with a blood sugar imbalance, for example, which can really impact ovulation, which can throw the cycles out, happens a lot in conditions like PCOS, for example, and then sort of using supplements, herbs, food, because even for some people, maybe they're not eating enough food, maybe it's not that they're eating too much or the wrong food, but their body is not kind of doing fertility stuff because it senses that it might not get enough calories for the day. So yeah, there's lots of different ways to get that back to be more regular.
0: So where can women go to find the resources and support for this condition? Because we often hear in our community that they go to the doctors, they don't know how to advocate for themselves, they feel dismissed when they speak up. And what is your advice for these women?
2: It's really important to, first of all, I guess, be seeing a doctor or a gynecologist or someone who can explain things to you really well so that you don't feel like you're being invalidated when that happens. So that's really helpful to to make the effort to kind of find your primary care team that's helpful and will be supportive. But then also naturopaths, nutritionists, people who are experts in this field and really understand what is necessary instead of just kind of general advice. And there are also resources like Endometriosis Australia has a few good resources on their site too. And sometimes we'll post good sort of Instagram stories and finding someone who is a gynecologist that specializes super important just in regard to how they do the surgery and that type of thing. So I would say starting there is a good is a good start. And something that you said earlier Clara too about you know the severity of the type of endometriosis that you have it doesn't always match the symptoms and so that's something where people could be a little bit better educated too because I see women who say well I've got bad period pain I can't leave the house for one day a month but it's not as bad as my sister who has X Y and Z and that's not always the case you know sometimes people don't have any symptoms and they have endometriosis so
0: what happens if you have these symptoms and you don't treat it what happens to the body I suppose things that can be underlined that can be happening is if you start to
2: try to have a baby and you're not having any success that could be part of the reason so your fertility could be affected and sometimes It can impact other organs too, so that could be a problem for some people. Uh, It will likely continue to grow if you don't do anything about it. So that would probably be the main problem is that you would continue to experience the symptoms. Sometimes if you have the surgery to remove it, for some people it doesn't come back because then maybe they've just got the right sort of lifestyle and, and diet working for them and so it can be really helpful to do the surgery and maybe it won't sort of return but unfortunately for some people it does and that's also because we can't always see it where it is everywhere so they don't always get all of it but if someone's not treating it then the thing that could happen is it could impact your other organs or your fertility later down the track
0: what does it actually do to our fertility
2: Endometriosis can affect our fertility by sometimes being in the wrong place. So physiologically, if there's growth on the outside of the uterus in a a place that could get in the way, that could impact the fertility, but it also can have an impact on our hormones generally. So that can impact the balance of hormones that can help us to get pregnant. So it's probably more to do with the actual physiological presence of the endometriosis that's there uh, that can do that.
0: So, P- so people with endometriosis, they almost have to forward plan with their fertility, Is that? would you suggest that?
2: Yeah, and sometimes different surgeons and gynecologists might suggest that you wait until you're planning your fertility journey before having the surgery to remove it because then you're more likely to fall pregnant once you've had the surgery in those like six months or so following. So that's another way to sort of go about it.
1: What are the first, so if you've been diagnosed with endometriosis like I have, what are those first steps that you know you suggest that people go through? I guess to be able to access a service like yourself and other services that are really going to help
2: them. So I think it is really great to set up a team if you can if you can do it if it's feasible. So speaking with a naturopath or a nutritionist to understand a little bit more about what supplements, herbs, and diet and lifestyle can help to prevent the growth and to really reduce your symptoms and then there are other people like pelvic physiotherapists can be helpful at times for some people speaking with maybe a psychologist or a counsellor if there's issues with anxiety and depression which is understandable given the chronic nature of the condition and then sort of going from there depending on what your you know need, need is but biased, but I think speaking to a nutritionist or a naturopath is good first because you can really get a lot out of that in terms of diet and lifestyle and even anxiety support and then understanding what else you could benefit from afterwards.
1: You talked about anxiety there, which I think is really an important one because a lot of people don't realise that endometriosis and conditions similar actually can be really tied up to your mental health as well how would you suggest going about supporting sort of um, the anxious mind? I know that, you know, it can even lead to a little bit of depression. There's all sorts of things that go on with endometriosis that I think people probably don't realise is even connected and they think that they're suffering two totally separate things. So how do you go about treating those people with, you know, diet, nutrition, supplements to really kind of help them?
2: Well, on a ground level, on the sort of straight away, there are things that can impact feelings, anxiety, and depression in your diet. For example, coffee for some people or caffeine. We just kind of review that and see how much caffeine the person's having, how well they're sleeping can really impact that as well. And with a chronic condition like endometriosis, maybe pain is getting in the way of that too. So optimising sleep. But then also things like making sure you have enough protein in the diet. It sounds simple, but I would say most people aren't getting enough. You need about 25 grams per meal. And so that could be if you eat meat, a palm-sized serving of steak or something, it becomes a little bit more difficult. You have to be more conscious of it in a non-animal protein diet. But that's really helpful because protein helps us make amino acids, which help us make all of our mood neurotransmitters, and it also balances our blood sugar. And so that can really support a happy mood and you know dips in energy so those are really great initially for diet sort of tips and then from a herbal or nutritional perspective we've got things like magnesium and that's really great also for pain sometimes so that's one that I use quite a lot with endometriosis and then even N-acetylcysteine the supplement that I mentioned that has a really good research for pain that also helps with mood a little bit too we've got some studies on that in regard to different kind of mood disorders. So that's helpful. Herbal medicines, we've got so many, and that is a really good one because we can sort of mix something up that's going to help with your mood but also maybe your digestion and put together a good mix. But passion flower is a really lovely one for anxiety and that helps with sleep too. We know that's got quite a good amount of research on it for depression. So there's a lot of really good options there in terms of supplementation
1: reaching out to someone like yourself, is that a really good first step to be able to piece it all together? Because I guess when you go to a doctor, what I feel and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong out there, but, and I'm sure you will, like everyone loves to jump on and and tell us what they think. But I mean, I feel like you go to a doctor, you get a 15 minute consult. This is sometimes not to even the fault of the doctor. You don't remember to connect it all together. So as I said, I would never have connected anxiety particularly with my endometriosis until I had a child and my anxiety flared up within my first two or three n- new periods, like like my um, new cycle. I guess I'm calling it a new cycle because it was like the first cycle I'd had after a baby and it seemed to have changed slightly. And my anxiety was like really flaring up and I've never really suffered from anxiety. And so – I spoke to a doctor about it and kind of went, I'm really anxious now. And I never was (laughs) like, what's the go? And they connected it to my period. But a large percentage of the time, as I said, you go in and say, I feel anxious or I think I'm feeling a little bit, you know, depressed or other stuff. You know, I've got a skin issue and I've all of a sudden I'm breaking out, you know, all of these things that you can kind of do in isolation when you talk to a doctor for 15 minutes. So, how do you get people like that kind of team to connect all the dots and kind of do that deep dive into, you know, where do people start when they start talking about getting a diagnosis?
2: A good question, and I see that a lot too in people that I talk to. So I think that's something that we're good at as naturopaths is connecting the dots, but also getting to the bottom of, is there something physiologically causing this? Like, is this an iron deficiency? Because that can cause those symptoms as well. And Or is it something more? Is it something deeper? Is it because, you know, you've just had a baby and you're feeling depleted, you know, or is it that your hormones are out of balance and you're not making enough progesterone? There's a lot of different things that sort of can do that, that I feel is important to tick those boxes and and. You know, investigate those as well. And then being able to refer to someone saying, I, I know a psychologist who deals with chronic pain or there are different centres set up in different hospitals too that specialise in that. So yeah, I think it's good to understand, is there anything causing this from a physiological basic kind of perspective? And if not, Then what could we be doing to get some support?
0: If you're going into your perimenopause stage, can endometriosis um, affect your hormones going into that stage and into menopause, or does it kind of stop once your cycles are stopped, like stopped affecting your body?
2: You're going into perimenopause. Some, if you have endometriosis, sometimes it can really worsen your symptoms, and that's because what's happening hormonally in that time is our estrogen levels. Fluctuate really wildly, and so that's why sometimes a doctor will be hesitant to check your estrogen levels on a test because it's changing all the time in that period. Estrogen can impact your endometriosis symptoms, we know that is the case. And so, the other thing that's happening is your progesterone levels because you stop ovulating as much, those are declining, and that is a hormone that is really calming. So it helps with PMDD or PMS symptoms, but it also helps to thin out the lining of the uterus. So periods aren't as heavy and it really helps to sort of counterbalance the symptoms of endometriosis. So those two things can really make the symptoms worse. But then Technically, once you stop having a period, it could improve. Some people with endometriosis, though, their symptoms don't just happen around their period, and so that's where it can get a little bit more tricky. But for the most part, they should subside and get a little bit better in menopause when you've stopped cycling.
0: And then my other question is... um things like the pill and the bar and the marina that a lot of young people use, they can sometimes mask certain symptoms. So how do contraceptions affect endometriosis?
2: Depending on the type, what they do is they stop you from having a period in some cases. So for people who are experiencing their symptoms around their cycle, then that can be effective because they're not getting a period anymore. And they also can sort of silence your own hormones so that that is not happening and they're not sort of getting in the way as well. So for the most part, if people are using a contraceptive pill that is stopping their period from coming or it's a progesterone-only type that doesn't have the synthetic estrogen in there, then that can help with the symptoms for that time while you're using it. But, of course, it's not getting to the underlying reasons but it can be helpful for some people if they can't find any sort of relief with anything else to have a bit of an integrating approach uh, which is something that some people do have to do.
0: So it's really a case by case there's no like set in stone rule for this condition is there? Yeah
2: that's it and I think that's what we're really realising with all the new research is maybe down the track we'll realise that it's not one thing it's a multitude of different things or Sometimes we see research that shows like the immune system really impacts or the gut microbiome or, you know, even our sort of hormones. So I think it is definitely a case-by-case sort of condition.
0: And then we're always wondering about misconceptions around certain conditions. So for something like endometriosis, what are common misconceptions you hear about this condition?
2: Is that the level of disease that you have It correlates with the amount of symptoms that you'll have, and that's definitely not the case. We know that you can have a little bit of endometriosis growth and lots of symptoms or vice versa. And another one is that it's always going to cause infertility. That's not the case for everyone. One that really kind of has had a long run, pregnant cures you of endometriosis.
0: Yep, I've had that.
2: You would know that's not the case now. It's also... You know, what's happening is when you're pregnant, you're not having a period and you've got lots of progesterone and everything's a bit more stable. So for some people, it changes what happens afterwards, but it definitely doesn't cure it. So, yeah, that's a that's a common one. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things
1: that if you're a first time mom, you're a little bit astounded with. And maybe I was naive and everyone else out there is going to be like, no, I totally knew that. But one was that your period can change. So the period that you've always had and you kind of used to and you, you get into the groove with, that might change after you've had a baby and it become become better, which is great news for some, or it can, can become worse. That was like huge for me. Um, And then exactly that, like that endometriosis, and I think that's probably why people think that they can be cured because maybe their period has changed, um, but that endometriosis would kind of be a little bit, I don't know, flushed out or whatever it is once you've had your period or once you've had a baby. Um, and then I also thought another myth that I'll throw out there is I thought the surgery would fix it. I thought you just had surgery and, like, it took it all away and it was fine. And that's obviously not the case. I've now found out that it can come back. It, it, As you said, it can either be, um, it can be better and sometimes the surgery does get it all and, or, you know, or it just doesn't come back and that's fantastic for some people. But there's, I think, a large percentage of people where that's not the case and it can come back and it can come back in as little as three months as well. So that shocked me. Oh, and that sometimes it actually doesn't change anything. So, you know, my doctor kind of said to me, "Hopefully, my periods would get better and the pain would get better." But there is a percentage or a chance that that won't be the case as well. So, there was quite a little bit of stuff going on that I was like, "Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Like, I'm going to have the surgery. I'm going to be a whole new person." Nothing, like, it didn't really change. And in actual fact, my periods have been worse since the century. So not that I would like to put that out there for everyone else, I'm sure. <laughs> I might not be, like, the stellar case for that. But just to let you know, I don't want everyone going away and, like, crying into nebulas. Um, but just to let you know that, that also can be the
2: case. And I think that's another reason, too, why it's important to see the right specialist who does the right type of surgery because it's important that in that regard that can change how quickly it grows back and whether it does and so that's that's also really important but yeah there's so many myths out there that people just take for granted
0: yeah that one you said about um, pregnancy will remove endometriosis I actually have a few friends who've said that to me and then it puts another layer of pressure on them with their biological clock. So we really need to get it out there that that's not the case.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I've had specialists and doctors say to me, just have a baby and it's not on the cards at the moment. So that's not going to be a treatment that would work. Mm.
1: (laughs) It's interesting that you say to find the right specialist, how does one go about doing that, do you suggest? Because it is a really hard thing to understand. Like I, I think we've spoken about this in podcasts numerous times, which is, again, it's that triage situation. If you go and see your doctor, your doctor knows five names maybe at max of people that they'll refer you to that's kind of on their rotation in the area on the books you know, and that's who they refer to. Um, whether they're the best five people, God knows. So how do you advocate for yourself and how do you start looking for the people that will help you and become your team and become your champions?
2: I found this resource, a book by Bridget Huswaite called How to Endo. That was a really helpful one. That's one I recommend to people because it essentially goes through the you know how to get diagnosed and what to ask for it gives you a list to take with you to the doctor or to the specialist to ask questions yeah because the surgery needs to be excision not ablation so that's the main sort of thing that you want to be asking for when you're talking to the specialist because what it does is it gets underneath and it cuts everything out from the root that everything they can see whereas ablation just burns the top off and now there's I'm sure there's a lot of nuance in this too because I think in some cases one is better than the other but for the most part Excision is better. So that's something to know to ask your specialist is that what kind of surgery do they do? What's their training in laparoscopic surgery been like? Because I know, at least in Sydney, I know a few, and I just keep gathering this information and collecting their names as referrals. Um, Professor Michael Cooper is one in Sydney. I did a talk with him recently, and he's excellent, and he's also very open minded. And when it comes to supplements and diet, and he understands endometriosis to be a whole body inflammation, inflammatory condition, not just about hormones. And so that would be probably the main question to ask. And then I do think that book is a really good resource if you've just been thinking about whether to get surgery or not, because it really helps give you sort of some tools.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I've heard Dr. Michael Cooper around the traps. So, but again, that wasn't something I knew. I wish I had known that information, you know, three or four months ago. Because I have no idea what type of
2: surgery I had. Yeah, because you're relying on the experts to tell you what's meant to happen. How how would you know that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's and I think that's, you know, the case for everyone, um, and anything that you go through. The more information you're armed with. The better the outcome is for you. So, you've got to advocate for yourself and you've got to work out how to advocate for yourself.
0: Margaret, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It has been such a pleasure to chat to you. And for all our listeners who want to learn a little bit more, I'll put links in the show notes below. Like this podcast? Please give us a five star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners, but if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait
1: Islander peoples.